Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, Harvest Church. It is a joy to get to come and share God's Word with you again. Uh, My name is Dr. Kyle Essery. My family and I, we stay here in the city. We're actually over on the PJ side, but it is always an honor whenever I I am invited to come and share from God's Word with you. This morning, we are going to look at a very difficult topic. The title for this morning's message is The glory of Christ rises above suffering. Now, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at a passage in Romans chapter 8. Now, as I said, this is a tragically difficult topic. And the passage that we are going to look at explains it. You see, we're going to consider this morning the topic of suffering. It's not an easy passage that we're looking at, and it's not an easy topic, but I do believe that if we think deeply about it and what God's Word says about how we should suffer and why we should suffer, that we will come out on the other side seeing it as God-glorifying. Now today, around the world, approximately 165,000 people will die. Adults will die of heart disease, cancer, and strokes. Thousands of babies will die during today or in days to come. Some will have died instantly, and some will die after years and years of unimaginable suffering. Most will leave behind others who will mourn them. Consider just one cause of death, the leading cause of death around the world. Coronary artery disease, or what we sometimes just call heart disease. 16% of all people who died in 2020 died of heart disease. That's more than the number of those who died of cancer or COVID. Arteries clog with fatty deposits until finally the blood can no longer flow through them. This leads to a heart attack. Sometimes the cause is obesity or high blood cholesterol, or diabetes, or smoking. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes there is no reason to explain why it happened. Some of you may have heard about Tim, or about Nick Challies, the son of the well-known pastor and internet writer Tim Challies. Nick Challies died in November of last year from a heart attack, but he was only 20 years old. 
By all accounts, he loved the Lord and was in Bible college. He served the Lord. He spent his time thinking about the things of God. He was committed to ministry for the Lord. He was in great health, athletic. He didn't smoke or use drugs. There were none of the common factors that lead to heart attack that were evident in his life. He was playing a game with his younger sister and his fiance, and suddenly he collapsed. Friends and doctors tried to resuscitate him, but they couldn't. He died, 20 years old, of a heart attack. This past week, Tim Challies shared on his website that they received the autopsy report, and it said that he died of a heart attack but it continued that it was a heart attack, quote, of uncertain etiology, end quote. In other words, they don't know what caused it. He just died of a heart attack at 20. Reading Tim Challies' website over the past six months makes it clear that the suffering not only happens to those who are sick and dying, but also to those who care for the sick and dying, also those who remain after they die. They cry, they ache, they feel nauseous, they struggle with anger and depression, and this all arises not from their own physical pain, but from the physical suffering, pain, and death of others. In the past year, over 3.5 million people have died of COVID. They died because they couldn't breathe. Many had ventilators, but many still died. They didn't die because they had made bad choices in their lives. They died because they contracted a highly contagious and deadly virus. This week, Thousands of Christians will be tortured around the world. Children will be trafficked in the sex trade. Terrible car, train, and airplane accidents will leave people maimed and handicapped. Babies will be born with incurable diseases and abnormalities. I say this not because... Not because it's you know, glorifying of these evil things, I say this because it's reality. It's tragic. But this is real life. I've gone through some of these sobering facts so that we will not minimize the topic today. So that we won't abstract suffering as though it's something out there, you know, something that you know, maybe we can figure out whenever it comes along. No, suffering is a daily reality for millions. Some of you have suffered tragically. Some of you have faced cancer. Some of you have lost loved ones to heart disease. Some of you have been forced from your homeland due to political or religious reasons. 
Some of us have lost loved ones to COVID in the past year. Some of us are struggling for food and security. These are real issues for many of us, and I do not want to minimize them. God doesn't want us to minimize them. God created this world. God rules over this world, and God in his word takes these tragedies seriously. Does God understand the pain that we suffer? Can God be glorified in this fallen, tragic world? Does God have a purpose in allowing people to suffer? If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open it to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at four verses. That's all. Romans 8 verses 18 through to 21 about the issue of suffering and Christ's glory. What I want us to see from these verses is that for Christians to rise above our present suffering, we need to set our sight on the glory of God which will be revealed to us. Now, to give you a little bit of a background to our passage, Romans 8, obviously one of the most significant chapters in the entire Bible. In the first 16 verses of Romans 8, Paul focuses on the work of the Holy Spirit in believers. We live in a fallen world, but God gives, him, gives believers his spirit so that they can overcome the power of flesh. In Romans 8 verse 17, Paul concludes his former argument, but begins to discuss the relationship between suffering and Christ's glory. And that's where our passage begins. Paul wants to explain how Christians should understand suffering. The argument continues through the end of the chapter, in fact. But this morning, I just want us to look at his first few points in verses 18 through to 21. Now, in our passage, Paul makes a logical argument where he first states his main idea. Then he gives a reason which supports the main idea, and then he gives some reasons that explain the reason that supports his main idea. So as we go through this morning's passage, that's how we're going to, that's what we are going to do. We're going to follow Paul's argument. We'll consider the main point of the passage first, which is stated in verse 18. Then we will look at Paul's main reason, which is in verse 19. Then we will consider the points that he gives to support this reason in verses 20 and 21. And then finally, we are going to circle back to the main idea of verse 18. And I'm going to share a story of how I have understood this verse based on situations in my life. Let's begin looking at our passage. The first point is this. Suffering cannot compare to glory. That's the main idea of the passage. It's stated right here in verse 18. We cannot compare our current trials with the glory to be had in Christ. Let me read to us verse 18. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I mean, Paul states the main idea directly, right? Now, we need to understand what Paul is doing with this verse. In verse 17, the previous verse, he said... If we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now notice the logic of this verse. We are children of God and co-heirs with Christ, and we shall be glorified with him if, we suffer with him if we share in his sufferings. In other words, if you want to share in Jesus' glory as a co-heir, then you must share in his suffering. Now, surely the Romans of the first century would have heard Paul say this and immediately thought, wait, you're saying my Suffering is necessary to share in Jesus' glory? Think about the first century Roman world, how they would have heard this. Comfort and glory came in response to power. You achieved recognition in the Roman world based on your status. Honor in Roman culture came first and foremost from your status as a Roman citizen. It came from your power in society. It came from victories that you had achieved on the battlefield, for successes you had had in business. None in the Roman world would consider suffering as a pathway to glory, as a pathway to honor. But that's what Paul says, right? We suffer with Christ so that we might share in his glory. Verse 17. And that's the basis for verse 18. Our verse. Suffering in Christ now cannot compare to the glory we will receive in Christ. Now, the sufferings that Paul speaks about here are not merely persecution, but every type of trial that we've considered this morning. They encompass all of the suffering of a fallen world. The idea here is simple. The suffering we now face will not compare to the glories then. New Testament scholar Robert Mount says, quote, If we allow the difficulties of life to absorb our attention, they will effectively blot out the glory that awaits us. Our focus needs to be on things above, spiritual concerns of eternal significance. Now, like I said earlier, I'm going to state Paul's main idea, then we're going to look at Paul's arguments in support of this main idea, and then we'll come back to this main idea in a few minutes. But first, let's look at why 
Paul says we should consider future glory of more worth than present suffering. The second point this morning comes from verse 19. Creation waits. Creation waits for the sons of God to be revealed. Let me read verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why should we consider future glory to far surpass present suffering? Because all of creation is waiting eagerly, expectantly for God to reveal his children. Now, you may listen to that and ask, as I did whenever I first studied it, what does this mean? Here's what it means. Right now, you and I can watch the news. We can watch videos of events that are happening around the world. And you and I have no idea who is and who isn't a Christian. We can't see the heart. Someone can say they are a Christian. They can do Christian things. Yet their heart can remain far from the Lord. Remember how Jesus quoted Isaiah 29:13 against the the hypocrites of his day. He said, quote, "These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me." End quote. In other words, they would have said that they honored God, they said the right things, they did the right things, but their hearts they were far from the Lord. And so if we just look at the world in general, it's impossible to figure out who is and who isn't a Christian. Some Christians are rich and some Christians are poor, just like everyone else. Some Christians live in comfort and some Christians face daily suffering, just like everyone else. If you just look at how the world is divided, the the suffering or the comfort in people's lives, you can't tell whether or not they are Christians. Furthermore, furthermore, Christians are limited by our sinful flesh and a sinful world. And so the full the fullness of who we are in Christ has yet to be revealed. We love Jesus. We want to serve him faithfully. But we still have sinful desires. We still have an internal battle between the flesh and the spirit of God at work within us. We want to honor Jesus with all of our strength. But our bodies are failing. Bad eyesight. Arthritis. Mental fatigue. These weaknesses and limitations plague Christians just like everybody else. From an outsider's perspective right now, Christians don't look like the sons of God. We look just like everybody else, weak, limited, and at war against sinful desires. And so this verse is telling us that creation is longing for the true nature of Christians to be revealed. 
It looks forward to that future day when Jesus will make all things right. It looks forward to that future day which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 when this perishable body must put on the imperishable, when this mortal body must put on immortality. Let me be clear. I, too, long for the revelation of the sons of God. I hate my sinful desires. I hate my limitations. I hate that I can't even see the camera right now without my specs. I hate that I have a bad back and that my ankle injuries hurt whenever it gets cold. I hate the fact that I can't focus my mind fully on Christ because my heart is so easily distracted by notifications and Netflix and sports. I hate that I daily read stories of Christians facing intense suffering. I hate that I know Christians who suffer every day. I hate that we live in a world with cancer and infant mortality and COVID. I long for the sons of God to be revealed. And so let's look at the next two verses which help explain why creation longs for this revelation. The third point comes from the final two verses that we're looking at. Creation suffers in hope. Creation was subjected to its present suffering by God, but in hope of a greater glory and freedom for God's children. Let me read to us verses 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul states clearly in verse 20 that Creation was subjected to its current frustration, not as an accident, but intentionally. God subjected it to its current situation, but did so in hope. What is that hope? The hope is what it says, that it would be freed from this bondage and obtain the freedom of the glory of God's children. In other words, this current bondage brings about, helps to obtain the freedom and glory for God's children. Now, who subjected creation to its current frustration? If you look at verse 20, it just says it was subjected by him who subjected it. Now, scholars have argued for three possibilities, but one only makes sense. The first option is that Adam subjected creation to its current situation. Now, although Adam sinned and brought sin into the world, Adam was a normal human being like you and I. 
He did not have the sovereignty or the authority over creation to subject it to its current frustration. Some have argued that Satan subjected creation to its current situation. Now, the devil certainly seeks to oppose God and his ways. He certainly seeks to oppose God's people, but he does not have the authority over creation to subject it to its current situation. The only answer that makes sense is that God subjected creation to its current situation. We see part of this spoken specifically in Genesis 3, 17 through to 19. In response to Adam's sin, the Lord says to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So it best makes sense that God, as a response to Adam's sin, that God has subjected creation to its current situation, its current frustrations and futility. But it was subjected in hope. And we need to see that. It was subjected in hope. Even in Genesis 3, as God cursed creation at the fall, he promised that one of Eve's long, long, long future descendants would crush the serpent. Paul probably had this in mind when he says that God subjected it, but in hope. He would not abandon creation to frustration, but instead God allows our current suffering because it leads to greater glory through his promised Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here that creation suffers in hope. The great Syrian theologian and pastor John Chrysostom once preached on this passage and emphasized that not only are we suffering, but creation is suffering for us. Creation is suffering in hope that God's glory will be revealed in God's children. And so he asked the question, he said, if creation suffers in hope for us, shouldn't we also suffer with hope? And that brings us back to that original main idea that Paul stated in verse 18. For I consider that the present suffer or that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. During our present pain suffering, and trials, our focus matters. While we live in a world with car crashes, cancer, and COVID, 
many of us focus on the pain now. Why won't God remove my suffering? Why won't God take away my pain? Why does God let the wicked prosper and makes me suffer? These are valid questions. In fact, the Bible is full of questions like this. The book of Psalms in particular asks these very questions over and over. They are right questions and they are good questions. But there's also a better focus that you and I can have during tragedy and pain. We do not diminish the seriousness and the severity of the pain, but we focus on an even greater glory. We set our eyes on things above and not on earthly things. And when we set our eyes on the glories of Christ and the glories of our redemption, we are empowered to rise above the trials that we face today. You see, I want you to see that it is possible that God can use our suffering to draw us more closely to him, to help us to see how much we need him, and to help us to realize how great his glory must be if it surpasses our current suffering. And so I want to finish this morning's message with a personal story. Whenever I was 14 years old, I cared mainly about three things. Video games, girls, and basketball. I would spend hours a day practicing basketball with friends at the local gym. In many ways, I found my identities or my identity in this sport. I was joyful whenever I would see in the local newspaper that I had this many rebounds or this many blocks. It brought me joy. It brought me identity. I was known at school as being on the basketball team. I was known as a guy who would spend hours after school each day practicing. Then... One day, during the summer holidays in 1994, everything changed. I was coming home when a car traveling at minimum 100 kilometers per hour lost control and hit me as a pedestrian. My body was flung through the air. It landed. It scraped my back raw. I suffered severe injuries to my legs, to my arm. I had multiple skull fractures and bleeding on the brain. To this day, 27 years later, I have scars on my arms and legs that whenever people see them for the first time, they say, ooh, what happened? I went from being a kid who daily played basketball to the intensive care ward at the local hospital. I spent weeks in that hospital and nearly two years of my life in various speech, occupational, and physical therapy sessions. Now, I could literally spend hours 
telling you how God healed me, telling you miraculous things that God did through my healing and recovery. I could spend hours telling you stories about how God used this terrible event to touch people's lives. And on and on I could go. But this morning, I want to focus on how my heart changed as a result of this suffering. First, I realized that intense physical pain does not make sense. As I suffered, I remember thinking, this is not the way that things are supposed to be. I hate this. This is not right. There was a deep, insatiable awareness within me that things should be different. Pain, suffering, death are not the way that God intended things to be. And allowing me to suffer through such pain made me even more aware of this truth. Second, I realized that God could comfort, comfort me through immense physical, emotional, and psychological suffering. If I had not faced such intense suffering over those months and years, I would not have realized the depths of God's ability to comfort me. When pain seemed immense, I had an even deeper awareness of God's comfort than I had experienced up to that point in my life. Third, my heart changed. I realized that video games, girls, and basketball great as they are, are not the most important thing in life. I was a Christian whenever I was hit by that car, but my focus most days was on me. After my two years of recovery, my focus had shifted. I still liked video games, I still liked girls, and I still liked basketball. But I was more aware of the reality of pain and death. I knew that in the face of death, a relationship with Jesus Christ matters infinitely more than whether or not my favorite basketball team wins a game. Whether or not I can hit that shot when it matters. Fourth, I began to understand the intensity of Jesus' suffering for us. The pain that I felt could not compare even remotely to the pain that our Lord suffered as he prepared to go to the cross. The tears in Gethsemane, the emotional and psychological difficulties that he faced for us. My pain could not compare to the physical pain that Jesus suffered on the road to the cross. And as he hung for hours until his death. And that leads to the fifth thing that I realized. You see, the Bible teaches that Jesus, quote, for the joy set before him endured the cross, end quote. Jesus suffered for his people because he knew of the greater joy and the greater glory of redemption 
and that made his suffering worth it. He could face immeasurable suffering for us because he knew that on the other side of suffering was an even greater joy. He was purchasing a magnificent salvation for everyone who would trust in him. That was a greater joy that could sustain him through the most intense suffering that he suffered. He could joyfully do what he was called to do in obedience to the Lord because he could see that greater joy of redemption and salvation and the glory and honor that it would bring to God. Based on this, I learned that I could rise above my own physical trials through this gospel truth. Because Jesus loved me and died for me, I could constantly face any suffering in the knowledge that no matter the depths of the pain right now, it will be nothing compared to the joy to be found in Christ. It would be nothing compared to the glory of Christ revealed to us and in us in our salvation. In other words, this period of suffering in my life, it helped me to see with the Apostle Paul that, quote, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, end quote. Let's pray. Father God, oh, that glory that is to be revealed, the glory of our magnificent Savior Jesus Christ, revealed to us in the gospel and revealed through us to others. Yes, Lord, our suffering right now is immense. It is a great, deep trial, but we can endure it. As our Lord endured it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And for that great joy to be found in him, we can endure. The sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed. And so we, with all of creation, long for the revealing of the sons of God. When everything is made right, when you return... And so right now, we wait, but we wait in hope. Father, thank you for providing us a certainty in our hope as we look to you and we long for life with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Harvest. I pray that the Lord blesses you this week.